You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. series called Adventures of Christmas. It's week two of a three-week series, and uh, typically the staff gets together and plans these series weeks and weeks ahead of time, and we're like, hey, what do we call this? You know, Roger kind of comes with a vision, and we kind of go from there, like, you know, whittlings down and, you know, put words to it and all that, and this uh, word adventure kept coming to Roger's mind. We're talking, what if we called it Adventures of Christmas? And there was a very, very short time back and forth, like, well, adventure, actually, full disclosure, the back and forth was pretty much all on me, because, like, this word adventure means something very particular to me. My boyhood hero was Indiana Jones, so adventure means something that Indiana Jones would do. So in my mind, like, you don't have an adventure unless you're like swinging on ropes or vines or you're jumping over snake pits, things like that. And then the rest of the staff was like, that seems a bit extreme for, for adventures. So uh, just to settle it, we like went to, you know, dictionary.com, landed on like what exactly is an adventure. And I think it came out something like just a journey where something exciting or unexpected can happen. So I was like, well, if that's what they're calling an adventure nowadays, we'll go with it. So we are in the adventures of Christmas just because we've been on this earth any number of years. And many of us know and have lived many times over both exciting things and even unexpected things can happen around Christmas time, both good and maybe even bad. So we were talking about, I think last week, Roger talked about just the word was expectations. Just going into the Christmas season, we have expectations. And he kind of went through, hey, some are unattainable, some are unrealistic, some are very reasonable. And he just kind of went through, hey, where should our expectations, not just in life, but maybe even around this time of year, where should they be? And where does Jesus come into that to help us manage those? I'm really, well, yeah, we're all really excited for next week. I don't want to give much away, but it's all about the family dysfunction side of things. So, but I don't get to preach that, that, that message. Um, but this week we're talking, you know, there's a lot of traveling around Christmas. So many people are on the road. So let's just talk about the road trip. So that's kind of the title of the weekend of the message day is road trips. And this might be a good time to say road trips does not mean vacation. Some of you might know this all too well. Uh, yeah, already seeing some nods. I know, like, I have one friend, he has to go to Oklahoma every single Christmas, and his mind wanted this family is just packed full of car, not a lot of fun is being had in that small space. He's like, it's just like, we go to Oklahoma, we have dinner, and we drive right back. So maybe, like, this is not a time of vacation, but road trips, certainly. Uh, but yeah, it is, we are busy, it is hustle and bustle, our schedules are packed. I think this week I have four different Christmas or holiday functions going on. I'm excited for all of them, but like you have to, I really have to rearrange my week. How do I fit all of these in and have a good time while I'm at all these things? So that's kind of where we are. <clears throat> so going forward with this road trips, keeping uh, you know, Jesus in mind amidst all the hustle and the hurry and all that, uh, <clears throat> If we were like to close our eyes, I'm not asking you to, but if we were like to, if we had like time to reflect and meditate on what Christmas is supposed to be, we might have something in mind like this. Look at it. How beautiful is this? Yes. Oh, yeah. We, we want to be there right now. We have the, all the lights are perfect. It's glowing. There are gifts by under the tree. You can see outside, maybe some lights outside. That's a reflection. You know, there's probably snow outside. It's probably in the country. There's probably deer out there just peacefully eating the grass in the meadow. And then we have the roaring fireplace. And I think, yes, there's a little dog right here in the, in the, in the bottom right here. It's like, this is what Christmas is supposed to be. We would like to be peaceful and cozy and restful. However, 
many of you know Christmas is more like this picture. You might be able to relate to this better. Yeah. <clears throat> a month, we have a mother who obviously is just trying really, really hard and is just not coming together on this particular day. So that's kind of the contrast we find ourselves in. We like the idea of Christmas being very peaceful, no conflict, everyone's happy, there is joy throughout the holiday season, but then we're met with harsh reality of that, just, you just want to scream sometimes, because there is so much going on, you love your family, you love your friends, but it just feels like one obligation out, you know, after another. So that's kind of the tension we find ourselves in. You know, I was, uh, I was doing some, you know, research as I do, and uh, we're kind of like in the world of like hurry and things like that this morning. And uh, I was like reading some older articles and at times from like when I was younger, um, like I'm, <clears throat> I'm not old, but I'm not super young. I'm, I'm, I'm 30 years old, but I was reading back and there was like this, there was this thing that most, if not all people had decades ago, maybe that may, may be a little too long, but most people in this room had a long, long time ago that is not around anymore. And this thing, hold on, I wanted to get the pronunciation right. This thing that was around many years ago where, yeah, it was called spare time. <laughs> and I, I wanted to do some more digging on this. And spare time apparently is like you had some like downtime, like work was done, uh, your chores were done, and you could do with your time, I think, like however you wanted. Like if you had a hobby, for instance, which many of you might not even have one of those anymore, maybe once upon a time. But we feel like, oh, spare time, yes, that's a thing that we used to have, and it just feels scarce anymore. So here's kind of like the question I would like to go forward with, is, is it possible for this Christmas season, is it possible to change our pace, is it possible to change our attitude from less hectic to more peaceful, more centered, is it possible to change our focus? Again, what we're focusing on, like in the, in the, in the hurry, they're important things, but it's not the most important thing. Is it, is, it, is it possible to change our mind and priorities on this? So there's this thing called hurry sickness. <clears throat> I don't know if it's diagnosable, but uh, see if this sounds like you this season. Hurry sickness is this, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. A malaise, which I love that word, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Now, you might be feeling that's me all year round, not just Christmas, but we'll, we'll keep it to the month of December. So yeah, being in a hurry or a constant sense of hurry, if that's kind of like the lifestyle this month, it means there are kind of side effects of that. It means like we're going to feel tension, we're going to feel discomfort, and maybe certain levels of anxiety. And if uh, you're under a constant state of stress, or at least something that's pretty regular, uh, something is going to give somewhere. Uh, The main, like, physical symptom of hurry sickness, kind of living in that way of life, is just fatigue. So many of us know that feeling. It's one of those, you wake up in the morning, you look at your calendar, your schedule, and you're like, you know what? I just woke up, but it's probably time for a nap right now. Or if you are able to, like, get in an afternoon nap or even, like, a short one in the evening, you go to sleep, you wake up, and you're like, oh, well, it's time for bed now. That's kind of the feeling of what fatigue does to us. But the psychological or the mental symptom of living in this hurry sickness day in and day out is anger and irritability. No surprises here, but sometimes when we label things, we're able to say, okay, that sounds like me. And when we name a problem, only can we start looking at a solution or a way to actually deal with it in a healthy way. 
So the prompt for the message, again, we're back in the staff meeting prepping for this message series. And what we do is we kind of like come up with like a two to three sentence description of the weekend. And then whoever gets to preach develops it beyond that. So uh, here it is. It says, Christmas is a season on the go from dinners to parties to work functions. Our Christmas travels keep us busy, stressed, and distracted. How can we treasure the precious and meaningful moments as they're happening? And is Jesus with us as we travel, or is he left in the dust? So we're going to be in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke this morning, just in the first couple chapters. But going back to the birth narrative, talking about the, that nativity story, uh, the Holy Family, we'll call them, that's Mary, Joseph, and the infant Jesus, they did a lot of traveling and road trips back then just because of the state of the world and the area was only so developed. And we thought about, hey, what would it, would it be cool? Because here's kind of how it went. The story starts out with uh, Mary and Joseph. They need to go down to Bethlehem. That's Joseph's hometown because they have to do the census. And then from there, they get word that the king in the area wants to kill uh, the baby Jesus, the new king Jesus. So they flee to Egypt. And then after a couple of years, once that uh, king dies, King Herod, when he passes away, they're free to go back uh, to Nazareth. And an angel of the Lord is kind of prompting Joseph in dreams throughout all of this. Like, wouldn't it be cool to kind of look at, you know, uh, just what was happening on those different road trips. It would be cool, but honestly, nothing is said about their time, like in Egypt, nothing is said about their actual travels. But if you like numbers, I thought this was interesting. I don't know if it'll be helpful for us, but I know that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem initially to uh, take part in that sentence, census, excuse me, was 90 miles. That was like a four to seven day travel. And Mary was pregnant, which means it was like a seven day travel. And they get there, and then Bethlehem to at least the Egyptian border would have been about 75 miles. We don't know exactly where they were in Egypt for that one to two years of uh, first part of Jesus' life. But once the all clear is given, Egypt back to Nazareth, at least 106 miles. Again, I don't know what that does for us, but some people like numbers. I like numbers every now and again. But again, we don't know what happened on those road trips. So in the spirit of like the message and like wanting to be helpful for everyone gathered in this room, uh, we found at the very end, the last verses of Luke chapter 2, there is a holiday road trip with the Holy Family, and it sees the family traveling once more. So we're going to have it up on the screen, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Cool. We'll start back at the beginning. So there is a holiday on their calendar. It was Passover. That's kind of like our modern-day equivalent of Easter. So this was the, the big holiday. I know devout Jewish believers back then, there were three major uh, holidays. Whole, yeah, well, holy days throughout the year that they were required to go to, and Passover was the biggest one. Now there is, I'm going to do some 
maybe conjecture. There's one of these, like, the Bible doesn't exactly say what I might suggest or what I'm seeing in the text, so take whatever with a certain grain of salt. But here's what I know about this family. Mary and Joseph, they were not a family of means. They were poor. It says when they went to make sacrifices, that sacrifice doves, which that was what you sacrificed if you had little to no money. So already, even though they are devout God followers, they have to take time away from their daily life up in Nazareth to Jerusalem, and also this traveling is going to cost money. So I think for this poor family, even though they're excited to go, there is a certain amount of sacrifice of time and money. I don't know if they were stressed, but if they were, or if Mary was, again, we don't know, but I can understand if she was. But the festival there in Jerusalem lasted seven days. As I understand it, the law said that you were only required to be at the first three days of the festival, and then you could go home. That's when the major ceremonies and the sacrifices were going on. But if like you were really, really, really into it, you could stay the entire seven days. But we know here that Mary and Joseph, they're like, all right, we got our three days in. It was good. It was great. But it's time to go back home. We might be able to, uh, we might be able to sympathize with that kind of attitude. Yes, we went to my mom's house. We were there for the required amount of time, four hours on the dot, and now we're out. It was great, but I have to go. We might be able to relate to something like this. But that's kind of where things are. It's a holiday. They're traveling. They're excited. It's a yearly tradition, but also it is tradition. And sometimes those can be taxing in a certain way. And it seems that they're in a maybe certain level of hurry, but here's what was going on. Uh, both to Jerusalem and going back home to Jerusalem, they were traveling with family and friends. This would have been very common. They had a caravan going. And uh, obviously it says that they went, started going home, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and Mary and Joseph had no idea about this. Now, before you start thinking, oh, what a terrible parent, maybe not. Uh, here's kind of what the typical would have been. It's my understanding that as they were traveling, the men tended to hang out together on the road, and the women and children tended to hang out on the road until it was time to sleep for the night. So it was very reasonable, one, that Mary just would think, oh, he's off with family friends or just some other family. But also, it's very reasonable to think that just, hey, Mary thought he was with Joseph. Joseph thought he was with Mary. Maybe as a parent, you can understand that. And then it gets to the end of the day, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So I'm sure there was a fight between Mary and Joseph. It's like, well, he's not here. He's not among the relatives. We have to go back to Jerusalem. And the text says three days later, but if we look at the Greek, it was like total three days he was away. So day one, they're traveling. They're like, oh, can't figure it out. Day two, they travel back. And sometime on the third day, that's when they find Jesus in the temple. I'm glad I found that out because in my head, I was like, is this, are they really away for like five days? And I have trouble, even if it is Jesus, a 12-year-old fending for himself for three or four days in Jerusalem, this big city. But okay, it was just the three days total from leaving to back. So I feel, at least I feel better about this. But yeah, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. And he's sitting among the religious teachers. And just kind of how they taught back then, it was very question and answer. Just teacher stands in front and it'd be like a Q&A back and forth. And then Jesus just kind of, kind of in the zone. This is his world. It says that he's impressing everyone who is around him. He's a very, very bright child. But then mom and dad find him. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. I can say this now because I know what this feels like. Um, my parents are coming next hour, so I can't share this then. But there was the time where uh, my mother lost me in the mall when I was like five years old, and she still blames me. But I know what it is like, like for have the, so here's what it does. Like the parents, they get very selfish. 
Like you can just read it here. Why have you done this to us? As if Jesus set out to inconvenience his parents. You can say, your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I remember how my mom was when she found me there in the mall. It was one of those immediate embrace and then immediate spank right after it. Just like it was one, two, one, two punch. See, we've been there. Either we've done it or we've been on the receiving end before. But one thing I like about this, it just, it's just a very human moment among this family that we might put on a pedestal a lot of the time. Like this was a normal family. Even though Jesus was Jesus, he was still able to frustrate mom and dad. But then we get to verse 49. It's Jesus' response. They were searching for him everywhere. And Jesus says, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, if we were doing a classic Bible study, what I would say is in these like 11 or 12 verses, this is verse 49. This is the big verse to focus on. This is the big verse to take home. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, interestingly, these are Jesus's very first words spoken out loud in Luke's gospel. Uh, This wasn't the first time he spoke, but this is the time that uh, Luke actually gives him dialogue. And this theme kind of takes it through all the way the gospel of Luke. Other translation would say, have Jesus saying, uh, you know, why do you need to search? You should have known that I was about my father's business. If I were to like translate for 2018, I might even make it even more basic than that. I might have Jesus say, why did you, Jesus, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I would be immersed in God stuff? Like, I'm just doing God stuff. Like, this is my world. This is where I want to be. But there's a few things that I think all of us can see and take away in this particular verse. And another Bible study tip, like I'm very comfortable in the classroom. I can lean academic sometimes. Um, But usually when we go into Bible study, we kind of ask ourselves, hey, what is here that I can learn? Which is a very good question. But since we're, you know, Jesus followers, we want a kind of heart change over behavior change sometimes. So if there's like a tip for your own Bible study I might offer, yes, ask yourself, what can I learn here? But maybe the most important question you can ask in going through scripture is, is there something here that I can obey? Is there something here that I can obey? So in that verse, verse 30 of this uh, 49, there's a few things I wanted to point out that just we can take from Jesus' line of dialogue. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? The first is that we're reminded, or maybe we're here for the first time, that Jesus is the son of God. And that's kind of like a foundational belief among Jesus' followers, but it's also good to revisit every now and again. You know, we could do an entire sermon or message series just based on Jesus, the Son of God, even in light of Christmas. But just some reminders I might throw out. Uh, I just like going back, especially around this time of year, going back to some Old Testament passages that kind of speak to Jesus coming uh, hundreds of years into the future from that, from that point. Typically, we look at Isaiah. So, like, I know years ago we did this sermon series there in Isaiah just talking about the coming Jesus, the coming Son of God, just being called um, uh, mighty God and wonderful counselor and prince of peace. Like these are the aspects of the divine son of God that we can cling to and like be assured of. But my favorite, if you look at Matthew 1, we'll revisit this either in the next couple of weeks, surely. But the angel, before uh, Mary actually gives birth, she says, hey, you're going to give him a certain name and you're going to name him Emmanuel. We were singing about it uh, just this morning. And Emmanuel just translates to God's God with us. And I saw this like really, really helpful tweet from a friend of mine, I think just this last week. And he said he had this to offer. He just says, you know, so much more important than reading about the birth of a savior 2,000 years ago 
is actually remembering and clinging to the promise of his name that God is with us. We don't read about, hey, God was with them or God was way back here. But this is very much in the present, that God is with us, even in this very moment. Not bound by time, nothing has changed. God has continued to be with us. And that's in the form of Jesus himself. So we just see that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus seems to know this even at 12 years old. Second piece is this. Mary and Joseph were both amazed and confused by Jesus' response. And this is going to be a common reaction to Jesus throughout his, the rest of his life. You can read in the Gospels, he's doing healings, he's teaching, and it just talks about, and the crowds were amazed at fill in the blank. Jesus brought about a lot of amazement. But also, uh, Jesus could be ambiguous, maybe a little unclear in his actions and his parables. This was always on purpose, but he could be confusing to people sometimes. And I know a frustration of those who don't know Jesus yet or are exploring or maybe just kind of put up some walls to Jesus. They're like, it's just too confusing. I don't get it, which I can sympathize with that. It's not entirely incorrect. But here's what I know about Jesus. And I know like his teaching style and what he was all about, his personality, just kind of how he went about things. Everything he did, everything he said, one, it was full of love, full of grace, full of truth. But behind that, everything he did in some way effectively said, hey, come closer. I'm doing this to inspire questions. I'm doing this to inspire curiosity. Everything about Jesus should inspire us to say, I want to know more about this. How does this work? What exactly does he mean? Everything about Jesus is intended for us to lean in, take at least a tiny step closer. Amazement, yes, but confusion just inspires more questions, and questions mean we are searching, and I know that God rewards searching. So something we can do as far as being amazed is what if we could just keep being amazed and especially drawn into the mystery that is Jesus? And then the third piece is that Jesus seems to be under divine directives. He just says, I had to be here. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He was exactly where he needed to be. He was being obedient to his father. He was under the divine direction of God himself, under the Holy Spirit, and just being obedient to that. So I might ask this uh, a couple rhetorical questions. One is, as you're thinking about this Christmas season, as you're thinking about like everywhere you have to go, people you have to do, uh, or people have to be around, uh, you know, things you have to bake, whatever. But think if we're under like divine directives, Jesus saying, I had to be here, I, had to, I must have been in my father's house. Where do you think God would want you this season? Just physically. I think this building is good. I don't think there's anything special about the building, but when we're gathered in Jesus' name, uh, something miraculous and supernatural happens just in the togetherness. But think of your schedule. Where would God want you to be physically? And then beyond that, just like Jesus, what would he want you doing or saying? If we're tuned in, if we're listening to or trying to listen to the voice of Jesus above all else, what would he have us doing and saying? Because we're around a lot of people, we're around a lot of friends, we are around, around a lot of family. And at least on paper, in the name of Jesus. So I found this, uh, this uh, like satirical poem. We all know the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem by uh, C. Clement Moore. Um, but I found this uh, poem a few days ago that 
takes a satirical spin on it that I wanted to share with everybody. Uh, now, the spin that this takes is kind of like against consumerism. Uh, that's not really what we're talking about this morning. You might be able to relate to that, but that's not the point of me reading this. But uh, the, again, it's satire, so uh, we have to keep that in mind. But I wanted to read this out loud just to kind of maybe say, hey, how are we really treating Christmas season, and how should we enter into this? Because we have 16 days left, right? But let me read this out loud for us. "'Twas the days before Christmas and all through the town, not a sign of baby Jesus was anywhere to be found. The people were all busy with Christmas-time chores, like decorating and baking and shopping in stores. No away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Instead, songs of Santa dressed up in bright red. Mama watched Martha while Papa took a nap, as hour upon hour the presents they'd wrap. When what from the TV did suddenly appear, a brand new ad for a big sale at Sears. Well, not anymore. (laughs) So away to the mall, they all flew like a flash, buying some things on credit and others with cash. And as they made their way home from their trip to the mall, did they think about Jesus? Oh, no, not at all. Their lives were so busy with their Christmas time things, they forgot about Jesus, the Savior, the King. To pray to the Savior, they had no time to stop because they needed more time to shop till they dropped. On Walmart, on Kmart, on Target, on Pennies, on Hallmark, on Zales, and a quick lunch at Denny's. Which, gross. <laughs> From the big stores downtown to the stores at the mall, they would dash away, dash away, and visit them all. And at home on the roof, there arose such a clatter as Grandpa hung lights with his brand new stepladder. He hung lights that would flash, he hung lights that would twirl, yet he forgot Jesus, the light of the world. Christ's eyes, how they twinkle. Christ's spirit, how merry. Christ's love, how enormous. All our burdens he'll carry. So instead of being busy, overworked, and uptight, seek Jesus this Christmas, and all will be right. So as our first step toward that, we're going to do the communion piece now. So if you're on the team, um, I invite you to go on and back. So every single, every single week, every time we gather together, just as the early church did, uh, we take time for this practice called communion. And this is something that Jesus himself instituted the night before, or the night that he was betrayed by one of his disciples. And this is what he basically says. He says, there's going to come a time real soon that I'm not physically with you, but there's something you can do. There's many things, actually. But there's something you can do that you can stop and remember me. <clears throat> and so we institute this. We just call it Communion. And so what we do is, like, they pass these trays, and we have, like, the little wafer that we're calling that bread. That represents Jesus' broken body. And then we have the uh, cup of juice. They used wine way back then. And Jesus says, hey, this is my blood that is shed for you. And we do this, like, every single week. So we're kind of in the practice of this already. But a great first step is, sorry, how can we, you know, bring in and even keep Jesus at the center throughout the entire month is what if we kind of had this attitude of communion wherever we went? So this time, it's kind of for you to do and worship, kind of in your own way. It's a private worship. Uh, but as it's passed, we're going to have several minutes just for you to, to rest, to be, to maybe decompress a little bit, and, but, uh, but making Jesus completely a part of that, finding rest, finding calm, uh, allowing him to deal with anxiety and our feel of rushedness. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us and then They're going to pass, and then we'll continue on together. So let's pray.
Father, I pray over uh, this time in particular. Uh, so many of us suffer from hurry. Uh, I've felt that myself just over the last three or four days. And just looking at my own calendar, I think I, think I can take a breath on Wednesday. But so many of us feel this way, and just, it just seems constant. We want you to continue to be the focus, um, not just of this moment, this morning, but uh, this season of Christmas, it is entirely all about you. So even though there are many other important things to keep in mind and to worry about, uh, let's not lose sight of it's, it's, it's all about you and always has been and always should be. So help us with that in this moment and whatever your Holy Spirit needs to do with our heart. I pray that we're uh, courageous enough and humble enough that we can uh, hand our hearts over to you. But help us in this moment to keep it holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.